0: Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Hey, friends. Um, I want to say thank you to those of you who checked in with me over the past few days or expressed concern or support. Thank you. As I prepared for the sermon this week, I found myself feeling lonely, overwhelmed, fatigue, triggered, a sense of burden, of feeling responsible for getting the church to a point of an understanding of systemic racism, Anger toward people in power, decision makers in every ministry context I've ever led in. Hurt, a historic hurt, that it takes a nation in uproar for some to see my race as an asset instead of a liability after phoning a friend and doing some contemplative practices, I came back to the truth that I am responsible to you as much as you are responsible to me. I'm not responsible for you, but I am responsible to you as your pastor to equip you for works of service that the body of Christ might be built up. And this is a responsibility that I cherish and find life-giving. But even as I teach this morning, I invite you to be aware of any lens you have that might keep you from seeing me with full authority, gifted by the Holy Spirit, to teach you this morning. Ways you might dismiss or minimize me or what I say because I'm a woman, because I'm brown, or because of what you may have been taught, directly or indirectly, about who teachers are in the church and what they look like. Make no mistake, I am your teacher this morning, ordained by God, affirmed by you and the elders of Long Beach Christian Fellowship. Amen. Amen. So as we conclude our New Testament reading this week of 1 Corinthians, remember Paul writes this letter because the church of Corinth is facing various conflicts which are causing division and people are trying to power up on one another so i assert to you that paul is alerting the corinthians to satan's divide and conquer strategy and urges them to resist with the truth that they are inescapably one body with many parts say that with me repeat after me we are inescapably one body with many parts So, Paul establishes that the standard of their well being is the whole body, not any one part, which is ultimately a call to confession and repentance from an exclusively individual identity and returning to their most authoritative identity as a collective, as a whole body, as Imago Dei, meaning that the body of Christ is made in the very image of God, Imago Dei, which is Trinity, three in one, one God three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That is the body of Christ. We can do nothing other than reflect the image of God, who in essence is a relational being existing in perfect love and equality between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as God's new covenant, new creation, we bear his image as one body with many Parts that by design exist in loving, equal relationship with one another. This is our standard for Ecclesia. This is our standard for church. And this is our standard for individuals being part of a whole. So since it's Prayer and Confession Sunday and one week after Pentecost, and as we find ourselves in a national and historic context of raw reflection We look to scripture to ground us. This morning, we let the scripture read us. So please consider our scripture this morning from 1 Corinthians 12, 22 through 27. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. You know what, Chloe, do you mind putting that scripture uh, back up on the screen again? So y'all can follow along. Thanks. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, thanks, Chloe. So Paul establishes in verse 13 and elsewhere in scripture, from Pentecost and Acts 10 and through the rest of the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit has made us one. That isn't something we create or manufacture or work toward. Verse 13 says, we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So our only response is to nurture this unity, this oneness, or deny it. We can't create it or uncreate it, it just is. But Paul emphasizes two ways that we do deny this oneness, two distinct ways we grieve Holy Spirit. One, by taking ourselves out, and two, by taking others out. When we declare, I am not a part of the body because, or I don't need you. So taking ourselves out. Paul speaks directly to those who want to take themselves out in verse 16. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Paul's answer is no, but this leads us to ask, what might be the conditions that would cause a part of the body to want to take themselves out? I submit to you trauma. If one body part is being damaged by other body parts, is not nurtured by connective tissue, veins, arteries, is severed from the central nervous system that regulates well-being, if it has been wounded and continues to be wounded, is not cleansed and has become infected, or is being taken over by another body part that is cancerous, the body part will send a message to the rest of the body that it is in such excruciating pain by being a part of this body that it would rather cease to be part of the whole. What might this look like in our context? Well, since we're speaking about the body, a leading expert in racialized trauma and its impact on the body and how it seems to move through generations is therapist Resma Menachem. For Menachem, trauma is simply an emotional response to something distressing. That can be acute based on an event, chronic, repeated and prolonged, or complex with multiple factors. But trauma is just the body's natural way of responding to distress that stays with us over time. Menachem has developed a theory called hip theory to address the dynamic of trauma that is experienced not just by individuals, but by a collective. Trauma from genocide, colonization, enslavement, or land theft, for example. That is experienced not just in a personal sense, but also historical and collective. So HIP stands for Historical, Intergenerational, Persistent Institutional, and Personal Trauma. I'll say it again. Historical, Intergenerational, Persistent Institutional, and Personal Trauma. And we'll put a link online and in the podcast sermon notes for a free e-course that Menachem is offering that Barb and I both took if you want to learn more about this. So hip is a trauma that overwhelms an individual based on his or her collective association. And the strategies for survival are retained in the physical body like a memory. So now remember for Paul's analogy, each body part represents a collective of people, along with other collectives of people, other parts that make up the entire global body of Christ. So this distress may look like microaggressions, which has been described as like death from a thousand paper cuts. Yet when a wound of any severity, micro or macro, happens on top of a gash, that was never cleansed or atoned for at the level it was created, the social institutional, the gash becomes infected and any injury is excruciating and unbearable to the point that this body part, this collective of people might say, I'm out. I can't take being a part of this body anymore that has other parts that continue to inflict distress, injury, or spread cancer and not cleanse or participate in healing and can't even hear when I cry out in pain. So to be clear, we're talking about in the body of Christ, we're talking about in the church, not just socially. So personally, this has been my experience over and over and over again as a person of color leading in majority culture contexts experiencing leaders and structures that basically find sophisticated ways to not love me, not hear me, not learn from me, not be led by me institutionally. And it hurts and it hurts and it hurts and it hurts. And even my own responses to what's going on in the nation is, yeah this is validating the reality that i've lived through my whole life and it hurts and just plain being a biracial woman where people continually want me to define myself or my giftings on their terms it feels maddening sometimes and this was underlying and at the heart of my confession back in october for those of you who were there that I stood with Brandon and Barb and and confessed that I had colluded with the lie that I needed to play small. Because that was a point I was at a point of feeling that the best way to survive was to take myself out in little ways. I was involving myself in other nonprofits where I felt seen and heard and eventually interviewed for a position at a different church which nobody really knew about. So I have compassion for those who want to take themselves out. There's a need for deep and long-term healing for people and communities of color in the body of Christ in the church. The second way Paul describes that we deny our oneness is by taking others out. Paul speaks directly to those who would take others out in verse 21. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Again, this leads us to ask, what might be the conditions that would cause a part of the body to want to take others out? Again, I submit to you trauma, but a trauma of a different sort. If a body part has developed a sense of well being that is independent from the rest of the body, it will believe it does not need certain parts. So, what Paul describes in verse 17 and 19 as the strangeness and bizarreness of a body made up of only one part, like an eye body, of course, is not a thing. It's self refuting. If it's an eye, it's not a body. And if it's a body, it's not just an eye. But further, if one body part is growing at a rate, that it takes over other body parts, denying their uniqueness and function and form, that is called cancer or fusion, and it is fatal for the whole body. So what does this look like in our current context? Rasma Menachem's associate, Rachel Martin, uh, developed a term for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, that is particular to white bodies. This might be challenging to hear and consider. The term for PTSD that is particular to white bodies is PRCEM. Persistent, re-traumatizing, colonizer, and enslavement master syndrome. Told you. Again, persistent, re-traumatizing, colonizer, and enslavement master syndrome. And if If that feels uncomfortable, if you feel uncomfortable in your body right now, I suggest consider what those feelings might be telling you. Lean into that. So PRCEM describes a trauma response based in colonizing or enslaving others directly or passively that affects the way the white community processes information and can result in a learned lack of stamina to be able to talk about racialized trauma because of historically benefiting from not understanding people of color. That make sense? And the challenges they face in existing in society and the resulting feeling is one of constriction, apprehension when talking about race with either what other white people or people of color. And in not being able to pick up on nuances needed to engage conversations about race, which lead to flight, freeze, shutting down, or withdrawing from the conversation, both short-term and long-term. And I have observed these symptoms over and over again in conversations with my white family and white friends. And this gives me a deep compassion for folks who hunger and thirst for righteousness and yet find themselves frozen or withdrawn. And there is a need for deep and long-term healing in the white community in order to move forward as the body of Christ. Again, Paul establishes that just because we try to say, I am not a part of this body, or you are not a part of this body, it does not make it so, right? We are inescapably one body with many parts because we are made in the image of a triune God and can do nothing other than bear his image of oneness, existing in loving, equal relationship with one another. And this is not something we attain, but a oneness based in the Holy Spirit, that our standard of well-being in the body of Christ is the whole body well-being, not just any one part. So how do we stand in this truth of our oneness with the whole body as our standard of wellness? How do we pursue healing in ourselves and others in the body of Christ as we find ourselves in crisis? Well, I submit that we have some good tools in our LBCF tool belt. And the, the first tool is learning. We have centered ourselves around a vision and posture of learning to live in love like Jesus, not attaining, but learning. And this will require that we manage the shame game, that pressure or expectation to already be woke or know more than we do, or to be more fluent in the conversation than we really are. Because discipleship means lifelong learner. Our tool is to keep learning. And I see this happening everywhere from some of the most unexpected, honestly, places. And if everyone everywhere does something right where we are in our own souls, at our own dinner tables, where we have influence in our jobs as little league coaches, we will see change. So to not be distracted by, by the need for change at the federal level, that's, that's honestly quite a, a big g- jump or gap, but to start right where we are like our elder, Catherine Morrill, and Vanessa Longnecker, therapists with Soul Restoration Project, who are taking a class on race and psychotherapy. Anyone, reading books or reading relationships, learning, this is our tool. We can do this. Another tool in the LBCF tool belt is embracing the Jesus paradigm versus the human paradigm. So this is part of our Uh, discipleship value of adoption, where the human paradigm says we can arrive at unity with God through our own striving, while the Jesus paradigm says we have already been brought into union with God through Jesus by his spirit. So we embrace the Jesus paradigm because we cannot muscle our way through this. We will burn out, and I see it over and over and over again, and this is our superpower as the church, that we embrace that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. And we embrace the truth that Jesus is the one who makes us one. And we do whatever he tells us to do to live in and nurture that truth, amen. A third tool in our LBCF tool belt is something we learned in the Colossian way as we were navigating conversations around the LGBTQ plus community and Christians in the church and that is to look for the love behind the anger. The Colossian way teaches us that when we see anger presented, we know that something someone values or loves is behind that anger and is being threatened. So we slow down, we get curious, and we look for the love. We ask questions of ourselves and of others so that we can hear and look for the love. And our fourth and the final tool I'll share this morning is the tool of confession and repentance. All of these tools ultimately lead us to confession and repentance, to speaking out what is true in our words and our actions and repentance, you turning from any way that we have been that is in conflict with the way of God. In a moment, we will declare our prayer of confession and repentance together. But I wanna leave you with this poem written by Leslie Dwight that Jason Malignant shared with some of us on the staff team. And it is called, What If? What if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful so scary, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. Let it be so. Amen. Now, please join me in reading our prayer of confession and repentance. God, in you is all life. So it is with sorrow, confusion, confusion, and even frustration that we confess all the ways we have chosen to walk in death. We have been self-obsessed with how we're doing, with how we feel about ourselves and with our own comfort. We've neglected to see you or live in your life. We've lived in paradigms and patterns of religion that dim our awareness of you and your goodness. We've avoided truly seeing others. We've lived in selfishness and self absorption, which is the heart of sin. We can't work our way out of our darkness. But because of you and you alone, we won't beat ourselves up nor resolve to despair, but to rise. We repent. We confess our hope in you, Lord. For the sake of your life, for the sake of your son, for the sake of your great love for us, we receive your forgiveness and renewal. Lead us into the reality of our adoption. Free us, God, to live in compassion, in mercy, in justice, and into a new way of being people. In the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Now let's pause and consider any personal prayers of confession and repentance we need to pray this morning. Just take a moment. Amen. And now, let's respond in worship with Jason Malignant. We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.